Good morning. Welcome to Blackmail. If you're a visitor, we're glad that you're here. Uh, there is a black pad there in your pew. If you can take that and sign that, pass that along. It's one way of keeping track of one another. Uh, there's also prayer cards in the pews. If you have a particular prayer concern, please fill it out and give it to uh, Mark or Becky or myself. We'll pass it on to our, our prayer team. In our study of the story of Abram and Sarai, we are in Genesis chapter 16. Uh, before we read that, let me just say, uh, I'm very excited today. Uh, excited because uh, it's Pentecost and celebrating the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is a great thing for us to be celebrating. Uh, and I don't think, this, this, I, don't, I don't know if this is a coincidence or not, but Goody comes back tomorrow, right? And, and it's, giving of the Holy Spirit and Goody's coming back. I'm glad she's not back today or you might think it's the exact same thing, but uh, looking forward to Goody's coming back and uh, being with us again uh, as we uh, celebrate the gift that she is to this congregation. We are in Genesis 16. Uh, we'll read the entire chapter. Listen then to God's word to us once again. Now Sarai... Abram's wife had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the, Lord's judge between, may the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they'll be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you'll give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. The Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Be'er Lahairoi. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last Sunday, I preached a lovely sermon. I will spare you some of the detailed analysis of that sermon and the long list of criticisms that popped in my brain, many in the very midst of the sermon itself. But it was a lovely sermon. It was lovely because the basic message from Genesis 15 was that God makes awesome promises to us and we can believe them 
because our God makes a covenant with us. He not only gives us his word, but he also gives us signs, sacraments to confirm those promises. It was a sermon encouraging all of us to live our lives trusting in God's promises to us. And if I were writing the book of Genesis, I would have followed up chapter 15 with the beautiful story of how Abram and Sarai trusted in God's promises. But this is why I love the book of Genesis. It's not moralistic in the sense that it's not a book that teaches our children good morals. You don't read it and think, gee, you and I should be more like Abram and Sarai. We read it and it feels more like a diary or perhaps more like my journal. Uh, it, it's like it was written by someone who knew very well how we humans think and act and feel, and it is not lovely. We ended chapter 15 last week with the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch passing between the carcasses and God promising that he would give Abram many descendants, as many as the stars in the sky, and that he would give this, him this land of Canaan where he was a sojourner. And Abram believed God for a while. There's no mention of Sarai in chapter 15. She was not included in Abram's uh, vision or conversation with the Lord. We wonder what Sarai and the rest of the household thought about Abram cutting up the animals, laying them out, chasing the buzzards away. But we can't imagine. We can imagine Abram coming to bed and telling Sarai all the Lord had said and all that he had promised. And we can imagine the hope that would have sprung up in Sarah. Maybe now, she would have been in her 70s by then, maybe now she would have known the chances of her getting pregnant now, at this age, were pretty remote. But God, but God promised, and she must have hoped she believed God with Abram. We will be given a land and we will be given a child and many grandchildren and a multitude of descendants. She must have hoped, but we don't know for how long. We don't know how long it was between the end of chapter 15 and the beginning of chapter 16. Several months, it could have been two or three years. There was this beautiful promise and the covenant. But then there is this thing called reality, right? Verse 1 says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. What do we do when what we call reality contradicts God's promises? And this seems to happen a lot. God makes a promise and we have to wait. It seems like this is normal. We receive a promise and it's followed by threat, by challenge, by delay. And it's rarely a straight line between God's promise and his fulfillment. We don't know what was in the mind of Sarah, but we can imagine that perhaps she thought maybe the promise did not apply to her. Perhaps the promise was just to Abram. He was to be the father of a great nation. God had not said if she was to be a mother of a great nation. God will be explicit in chapter 17 that the promised child would come through Sarai. But here in 16, perhaps she wondered. And so Sarai does what we all do. She decides that God's promise needs some help. Rather than trusting in the promise, she decides she's to fix the promise. God cannot be fully trusted. He needs some help. What we could do is, 
and her solution was a common one. It was not unusual in the ancient Near East for a wife who could not get pregnant to offer her husband a female slave to act as a surrogate. We'll see this later in Genesis with, with Rachel and Jacob. In fact, in some cultures, if a wife could not get pregnant in the first two years of marriage, she was obligated to give her husband a female slave to provide him with a child. Now, just to be clear, this is not a good idea, right? <laughs> Genesis is not a great guidebook for how to have a good marriage. Perhaps it's a negative guidebook. Don't do this, right? Our text makes, it clear that, makes that clear in some subtle ways. In verse 3, it says, Sarai, took his, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And this sentence used the exact same Hebrew verbs and sequence as in Genesis chapter 3, when Eve took the fruit and gave it to her husband to eat from the forbidden tree. Here, Sarai took her slave and gave her to her husband. Also in verse 2, we are told that Abram agreed to what Sarai said. A more literal translation would be, Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And it's the exact same phrase that the Lord uses when he confronts Adam in chapter 3, verse 17. Where he says to Adam, because you listened to the voice of your wife. We are dealing with what sin is by definition. Sin is our thinking that we have a better idea than God of what is right and what is best. We may justify it by saying it is for a good purpose. Here she is giving Hagar in order to fulfill God's promise, a good purpose. But we see ourselves doing this all around, all the time, especially perhaps in the church, using ungodly means to fulfill God's purpose, refusing to discipline leaders, men, and it's almost always his men in leadership because of how successful they are in bringing people into the church. We allow them to continue in immoral behavior, using manipulation instead of waiting and trusting in the Holy Spirit, editing out portions of God's word that are too troubling in order to not scare people away. When God is not following our agenda, we are always tempted to fix it, to manipulate it so that we can make it happen. We do this because living our lives by faith and trust is scary. What if? What if God doesn't keep his promise? What if God doesn't show up? And so Sarai takes Hagar, takes Hagar, and gives her to her husband. And Abram acts in a very Adam-like manner, right? He passively does what he is told. No protest, no encouragement to wait and to trust God. He sleeps with Hagar and she becomes pregnant. When she becomes pregnant, we're told that she began to despise her mistress. Did she think that she was better than Sarai? That she was Abram's true wife because she got pregnant? that this old woman, Sarai, was just in the way. And again, it's not hard for us to imagine how Sarai would respond to this. She's being replaced. Does Abram prefer Hagar to me? Am I no longer included in God's promise? Will I be tossed aside since I cannot have a child? We can imagine the pain for Sarai that would naturally lead to anger. And so we are not surprised when 
with Abram's permission, Sarai becomes abusive of Hagar. Again, this is no moral guidebook, right? Children, this is not how we are supposed to act. Abuse of whatever form is never right. But it makes sense, and it is how we humans act, unfortunately. Now, I want us to shift our attention as the text does. The first six verses of this chapter are mainly about Sarai and a little bit about Abram. But beginning with verse 7, the chapter shifts its focus to Hagar. First, let's name the fact that Hagar is treated as nothing more than an object, like a piece of fruit to be taken and given away without consideration of who she is or what she might want or need. She is treated as a piece of property to be abused and driven away. And this is not right. The gospel of Jesus Christ demands, reminds us that every person, every person is made in the image of God. Every person has a dignity that demands our respect. Because of that, people are not to be used. People are never to be objects that are used and abused. Sarai treats Hagar as a means to fulfill her purpose. When Hagar asserts herself, then Sarai resorts to abusing her, to treating her harshly with Abram's permission. A person made in God's image is never to be reduced to just an object who can fulfill my desire or my purpose, even if it is a godly purpose. And so Hagar runs away. She runs back toward Egypt in the wilderness of Sinai. And notice at this moment in the story, no one is concerned, right? Sarai is happy. Abram is relieved that there's no longer any tension in his household. Hagar is happy to have escaped the mistreatment of Sarai. Everyone is okay with this development. But God. But God. And this is the gospel of Jesus Christ in the story. Hagar is just a slave girl. Easily disposed of and replaced. No one cares, right? But God. But God. Verse 7 of our text tells us that the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water. The angel of the Lord went looking for her and found her. As Christians, when we hear about the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, we wonder if this indeed is a pre-birth appearance of the Lord Jesus who existed before Abraham was born. The Lord Jesus went looking for Hagar. This is the gospel. Our Lord Jesus goes looking for us, especially for those of us who are treated as worthless and disposable. And this is quite shocking. According to Bruce Walkie, Old Testament scholar, he says, this is the only occurrence in all of ancient Near Eastern literature where a divine being addresses a woman by name. The angel of the Lord says, Hagar, slave girl of Sarai, addresses her by name. The angel commands her to return to Sarai and to submit to her, and he gives her a promise. We can endure a difficult situation. We can even submit to a master like Sarai when we have been given a promise, and she has given a promise. Go back. And you'll be blessed and you'll have descendants that are too numerous to count. He then blesses her son who is to be born. She has named him Ishmael, which means God hears. The Lord has heard of your misery. 
and then says in verse 12, he will be a wild donkey of a man, his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. A promise. And we are told that Hagar responds to this by naming the Lord. Our text says she gave this name to the Lord, you are the God who sees me, or you are El Roy in the Hebrew. You are the God who sees. And this too is surprising. It's the only time in the Old Testament that any human being, man or woman, confers a name upon God. She names God. You are Elroy, the God who sees. No other human being gives a name to God except for Hagar. Hagar? Hagar, called by name by God. Hagar names God. And the book of Genesis is the gospel of Jesus Christ in narrative form for us. Why Hagar? Why Hagar gets named God? Why Hagar gets named by God? She might be better candidates, right? There's no reason. It is by grace. We can think of other women who have better qualifications of being called by name. We can think of other people who would be better qualified to give God a name. But it is only Hagar, a slave girl pursued by Jesus, listened to by God, and treated by, with respect by the God who sees. When I was growing up, one of the worst things we could do in our family was to ignore another person. I had a, I still have a little sister. She's not as annoying now as she was then, but she was annoying. She asked stupid questions, right? But my parents drilled into us that we could not ignore the other person. I don't know how many times at the dinner table they would say, David, answer your sister. Stupid question, okay. Because every person deserves our respect. And to ignore another person is to show them no respect. Even your sister, Dave, deserves respect. We worship the God who hears. God listened to Hagar. How can I ignore her? If Hagar is, is significant to God, then she must be to me as well. Who is it that you are tempted to ignore in your life? a person made in the image of God, one for whom Jesus, the angel of the Lord, pursues to find. Finally, in preparation for Goody's return tomorrow, did I say that I'm looking forward to coming back? <laughs> Let us close by hearing a word from a woman and then by giving a word to a woman. The word from a woman is the word from Hagar. We worship El Roy, the God who sees. Beloved, are you stuck in a situation that seems to have no way out? Are you despairing? Is there no one who seems to care about you and your situation? El Roy, our God sees. God hears. God cares. Jesus will find you. And the word to a woman is a word to Sarai. Our chapter began with Sarai thinking that God's promise could not be fulfilled through her. That it was a prop, promise only for Abram. 
not for her, that she had to be replaced by someone younger, someone God could bless. God will make it clear next chapter, chapter 17 next week. But the word to Sarai is that God's promise is for you too. You are included in God's promise. Does that describe you this morning? Do you hear of God's promises? The promise of his Holy Spirit this Pentecost Sunday, being with you, on you, guiding you? Promise of being included in God's family, the promise of life, life abundant, the promise of new birth, the promise of new creation, the promise of hope and purpose. And do you think those are nice promises? but not for me. I don't think God means it for me, for whatever reason, because you've done things you are ashamed of because God couldn't love a person like you. God's promise is for you, and it was for Sarah. No matter the barrenness of your life, God's promise is for you. His promise is for sinners like Abram and Sarai and Hagar and David and you. Let us pray. Lord, we come and we hear this story and it hits close to home for us. We can easily see ourselves in the story and the ways that we abandon hope in your promises and we try and fix things ourselves. And just as Abram and Sarai's household became a mess, so our lives have become a mess. And so Lord Jesus, we pray that we might hear your word to us, that you are the God who hears us, the God who sees us, the God of grace who rescues us. Lord, may we see that in each of our lives. Lord, may we see that in our life together. We give you thanks on this Pentecost Sunday that your Holy Spirit is indeed in our midst, still pursuing and finding us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.